Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. So we're beginning Daniel chapter 10 this morning. Let me read verses 1 to 11. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in fine linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. His face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. And no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. We're going to stop right there. And just look at this half of the chapter this morning. Originally, I prepared one sermon for the entire 10th chapter, but it wasn't going to work out. It's going to be too long. So I broke it in half. So let's, let's review just briefly where we are in the book of Daniel. So you remember the first six chapters of Daniel. Daniel has experiences in the king's court. There's just the one dream of Nebuchadnezzar that he has to explain and and so on. But it's all those stories, narratives of what happened to Daniel in, in Babylon. 
The second half of the book, chapter 7 to the end, are four visions. We're actually in vision number four. This is the fourth and final vision of the book. And it's the most detailed account of all the visions. It actually occupies chapter 10, chapter 11, and through verse 4 of chapter 12. This is the fourth vision of Daniel. This final vision has to do with the future of Israel, primarily. And it goes into great detail. Chapter 11 is an amazing chapter. It's a detailed history revealed to Daniel of what is to come in Israel's history. What takes place from the fourth to the second chapter. What century are we in? We're in 6 B.C., 6th century B.C. Notice the opening verse here. In the third year of King Cyrus, this is like 536, 535. You know how old Daniel is? He's in his late 80s, possibly 90. He's an old man. He spent his entire life, basically, until he, he was a teenager in Judea, taken to Babylon as a teenager, and he's remained in Babylon all this time. All this is unfolded. Okay, I want you to notice in verses 1 to 4, we have the, the circumstances of this vision that he lays out. The when and the where and so on of this fourth vision. Let's note this. So it's in the third year of Cyrus. All four of the visions, by the way, were given the date. All four visions. The first and third year of Belshazzar and the first and third year of King Cyrus. This is the third year of King Cyrus. We know that King Cyrus started to reign about 539, 538, so this is three years into his reign, so the approximate date is 536-535. Notice a word was revealed to Daniel. That word revealed means this is special revelation that's given to him. Nobody would know these things. Daniel would not know these things unless God had undertaken to show it to him. So this is special revelation that's made to him. So we ever come across the idea of revelation? See, we talk about the Bible as special revelation. There's natural revelation of God in the creation. All people have access to natural revelation. They can look at the universe. They can look at the earth. And, and what do they know? They know there's a creator. They know he's a genius, that he loves beauty, that he has infinite power, and so on. Many things we can learn about God from the natural world, from natural revelation. Everybody has access to that. The Bible is special revelation. This is what God chose to reveal to his ancient people, which has now come down to us. And we get to participate in the understanding of special revelation. So Daniel now is the recipient of special revelation. Notice what is added to it. The word was true. It's factual. Totally reliable. And this is the way it is. God's completely honest with 
in his revelation. He's, he's the God of truth. He does not lie. So whatever God has revealed, it's the truth. And he says it was about a great conflict. Hmm. That is what's going to come out in chapter 11. There's wars that go on, a protracted war off and on between the king of the north in Syria and the king of the south in Egypt. And the focus of chapter 11 is on what goes on between those two kingdoms. Why do they focus on that? Because Israel is right in the middle. Israel is flanked by these two kingdoms in the north and the south. And they both want Palestine because it's a land bridge between Africa and Asia. So it's about a great conflict. And then he adds, and he understood, that is, Daniel understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Notice those two words. He had understanding of the word. It was given to him verbally. We're going to see in chapter 11 that there's no symbols. There's no uh, illustrations of beasts or anything like that to illustrate what's going on. It's, it's, It's a verbal revelation, just a narrative of what is to come. But it also involves a vision. So it's verbal, it's visionary. The vision part of it pertains to chapter 10 and this heavenly messenger that Daniel sees on the banks of the Tigris. This is where the vision is. This part of the fourth vision is particularly here in chapter 10. Notice that Daniel was mourning for three weeks. He didn't eat anything during this time. What would Daniel be mourning about? Based on the fact that it's the third year of Cyrus, the Jewish people have already gone back to their homeland about the first year of Cyrus. Ezra chapter 1 tells us that. They went back to their homeland, many of them, thousands of them, to rebuild the temple. This would be the second temple. But something happened with the rebuilding project in Jerusalem. The opposition of the people that were living in the land stopped the building of the second temple. They frustrated the building project. And it's quite possible that Daniel caught word of what was going on in Jerusalem with the opposition of these people that prevented them going forward in building the temple. And he's sad about it. And he's in prayer about it. And he's mourning this. Now he tells us where he was. By the way, Ezra chapter 4 describes that situation of the opposition of the people. The people who were occupied the land while the Jews were, most of them were in Mesopotamia. Now they're stopping the building of the second temple. The second temple will be rebuilt eventually. 
Now, Daniel tells us where he was when the vision occurred. I was standing on the brink of the, the banks of the great river that is the Tigris. So I take this literally. He's not having a vision of being there. He's actually there at the Tigris River. We know the two great rivers that flow from Turkish Armenia through the mountains, the Taurus Mountains they're called. They flow through Mesopotamia, the two great rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, and they flow into the Persian Gulf. They're still there, those rivers, still the same name. So Daniel is on the banks of the Tigris. So those are the circumstances now of the revelation that's given to him. Now, in verses 5 and 6, he describes the vision of this heavenly creature that he sees. Let's look at this briefly. Notice he describes him as a man. He had the appearance of a man. This is an unnamed, I believe this is an, a, another angel. I believe it's a high-ranking angel. I don't believe it's, it's Gabriel, who was in the previous chapter and brought the revelation of the 70 weeks in chapter 9. I think he would have named him Gabriel if it had been Gabriel again. No, this is a different angel, not given a name, and apparently a high-ranking angel. But notice the description he gives. Now, what we need to think of as we read this description, that this is the, a description of an angel who does not, is not materializing as a human being. This is what an angel looks like undisguised as God created him. This is how I understand it. Notice he appears as a man. He's in the form and appearance of a man. Every description of an angel appears as a, as a, a man. He's clothed in linen, and linen was bleached white. And in the last book of the Bible, we're told that this is the raiment of angels. So angels have on a bright white garment. Notice this one. The, his body is like beryl. Beryl is a stone from Tarshish. In fact, the Hebrew word here for beryl has that name in it, Tarshish. And it's a stone that comes from Tarshish that is transparent, but has a yellow gold luster to it. So just imagine. So you can kind of see through this Angel, it's somewhat transparent, but a yellow gold luster. This is the, the body of the angel looks like that. Furthermore, he has eyes that are like flaming torches. Now, the next two things we read here, this parallels the angel, the description of angels that Ezekiel gives in the first chapter of his prophecy, Ezekiel 1. However, Ezekiel does not say that their eyes are flaming torches. It's more their countenance is flaming torches. And their arms and their legs like burnished bronze. I mean, they're doing the best they can to make these analogies. 
to give us some idea of what he's looking at. This is the Old Testament does this, and the book of Revelation does this. It was like John over and over again tells us it was like unto. It was as, using similes and metaphors to try to communicate what they're seeing. Now, some have thought that this is the pre-incarnate Son of God that he sees. In other words, that he's a divine person. I, I don't take, take that view. I believe it's a creature that he sees, an angelic creature, and here's why. He is spoken of as an angel. His description follows the creatures of Ezekiel 1, but it could also make the case it follows the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 as well. So there is uh, there's a reason why some think this is the pre-incarnate Son of God that's appearing here. But I, I don't believe it is. Notice he says, I have been sent to you, verse 11. I have been sent to you. This is a messenger. This is exactly uh, what angels are in both Old and New Testament. They are messengers. They are sent by God. So that's a clue there that he's uh, angelic in nature. But also in verse 13, which we did not read, we will come to that, Lord willing, next week. He says that Michael came to help him. Michael is an archangel, and he's one of the chief prince angels. Apparently, there's more than one archangel, though the Bible only names Michael. But in Jewish literature, there's five or six that are named. If this was the Son of God, he wouldn't need Michael's help. Deity doesn't need the help of an angel in a mission. So just those things alone makes me think this is an angel that he's seeing, but it's clearly uh, an undisguised angel because of his beautiful appearance, which is, notice the impact now, verses 7 7 to 11, how this vision of an angel impacted Daniel. Notice he says, I alone saw the vision, verse 7. Kind of similar to Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9. Uh, The men that were with Saul, they saw what was going on, but they didn't know the communication that went on between the resurrected Christ and Saul of Tarsus. They missed Part of it, but they were still impacted by it. Similar way here, they don't see the vision at all. So they don't see anything, they don't hear anything, but there was an awesome something, dread, that came down on them while they were with Daniel that was so overwhelming that the men fled from the vicinity and went and hid. So Daniel is left alone. He alone saw it. Great trembling fell on those that were with him, and so on. I was left alone and saw the great vision. Notice, and no strength was left in me. Totally devastated him physically. That was compounded by the fact that he'd been fasting for three weeks, so he's already in a weakened condition. 
But now he's really devastated physically, and he just collapses. Notice what he says happened to his appearance. Now, in the English, my radiance appearance was fearfully changed. The, the Hebrew here reads literally, my splendor turned to corruption. Now, the NIV translates it, my face turned deathly pale. That seems to be what he's saying. In other words, he turned ghost white, what he saw. Again, remember, this is an angel. This is not God. If the appearance of an angel can be so overwhelming, what must it be to see Yahweh in his full-blown, unveiled glory? He told Moses in Exodus 33, no man can see me and live. No man can see my face, he told Moses. He let When he passed by Moses, he said, I'm going to allow you to see the back of me. He still saw something of God's glory, but he was not able to see his face. Well, an angel had an overwhelming effect on on Daniel. He fell on his face. He went unconscious. Notice he fell into a deep sleep. I think that's saying he he went unconscious under the, the strain of this. He just collapsed. And became utterly powerless, helpless. Again, he repeats it, that his strength left him. He had no strength left. But now notice how beautiful this is. When the angel starts to minister to him. The angel is very glorious in appearance. But there's something so beautiful about this ministry From an angel to Daniel. Daniel says, behold, a hand touched me. This is the angel touched him. He didn't grab him by the scruff of the neck and, hey, get up. No, he he touched him. It was a touch of reassurance. No need to fear. He touched him. And he raised, he raised Daniel up by that touch. Daniel got up on his hands and knees, trembling. And then he stood up, and he's still trembling. The angel wanted him to stand. And then he says this, O oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. Now, this is the second time in the book of Daniel that we read that an angel tells Daniel this. He's going to be, Daniel's going to be told this three times in his book. That he's beloved by God. The uh, angel brings him a The angel tells him how favored he is by God. How he's regarded by the Lord. And he says, Fear not, Daniel. Oh, that's verse 12, sorry. And when he had spoken the word to me, I stood up trembling, and so on. He, he wants him to understand. Oh, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you. That's the whole point of special revelation. Now, as difficult as the book of Daniel is in some places, God wants us to understand it. book of Revelation, in some ways, is even more difficult 
But God wants us to understand his word. He's not trying to hide anything from mankind, uh, particularly. Uh, He wants his people to understand the revelation. Though the Lord Jesus Christ did say that he taught in parables in order to conceal the truth from some. But to his people, the parables reveal the truth. So he wants his people to understand the revelation. That we know for sure. So in this message, I want to talk about angels at the end. This is because this this is the subject before us, and this is what I want to dwell on for a moment. I want to have us think about the text in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, and the very last verse of chapter 1 of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews is all about the superiority of Jesus Christ over many things. And the author of the book compares Jesus Christ to angels, to Moses, to the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system and the covenant of the Old Testament and all these things. It's a a, book of Hebrews is one great argument for the superiority of Christianity over Judaism, essentially. In chapter 1, he compares the sun with angels. And he goes back and forth. To which of the angels did he say... You are my son, today I have begotten you, and so forth. But the very last verse of Hebrews 1 says something about angels. I want to read it to you. Are they not all ministering spirits? Notice that. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Now that's an insight into the ministry of angels. Angels are specifically on a mission to serve God's people, to serve the cause of the church, to serve the cause of each and every child of God. I want you to note a couple things it says about them. First of all, it says they're spirits. What is a spirit? Well, let me, let me read something here to you about angels. The category of creatures that have been created as immaterial, he's talking about angels, that is without a body. Remember they thought Jesus was a spirit after his resurrection, Luke chapter 24. They were, they were frightened when they saw him. They thought that he was a spirit. But Jesus said, handle me and see, a spirit does not have a body of flesh and bones that you see that I have. So we know a spirit is immaterial. It has a spiritual nature, does not have a physical body. But angels are able to materialize and appear as physical creatures. And they do that in the Bible. In fact, the book of Hebrews says to entertain strangers, entertain strangers because some have unknowingly entertained angels. 
unaware. An angel showed up as a physical person for a ministry. That has happened many times. I've read stories about it. So they're without a body. Whereas humans are created beings consisting of both an immaterial aspect. Our immaterial aspect is our spirit and our soul. Sometimes difficult to distinguish between the two. But there is a difference between the soul and the spirit. But that's the immaterial part of man. And in the material aspect, he has a body. Angels are not only immaterial beings, though they can appear physical, even human form. They're highly intelligent, moral creatures who wield significant power and authority. And they both worship and serve God, especially providing help for believers. Hebrews 1.14 Though all angels were originally created good, some rebelled against God and lost their original goodness. And they became the demons that are part of Satan's kingdom. So a little definition there. So they're spirits, they're material. So I, I would put it like this, that their substance or essence is spiritual. It's hard to define that, except it's immaterial. In other words, what is a what is an angel made out of? It's a spiritual substance. Even though we can't say, they're in here right now, in this room with us, listening to this. I'm talking about them in their presence. Interesting thought. Though we cannot see them, God could lift the veil and we could see them. This happened in the Bible. The veil was lifted, 2 Kings 6. The servant went out and they were all on the mountain surrounding where the prophet was. The angels can't see them, but they could materialize and could be seen if we were given the vision to see them. So they're spirits, that's their nature. Their employment is in what he says, they're ministering. Ministering spirits. That is, they're in God's service. And it's the same word that's used in Psalm 103 that Jan read that comes at the end of the psalm. That his host are ministers. The host is speaking of the angels. They're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to God's people. They wait on God to do his service. Now there is a sense back in Daniel 7 and verse 10 that they minister to God himself. Like the vision uh, that Daniel sees in the 7th chapter, 7 and verse 10, a stream of fire issued that is from the throne of God came, came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Well, the angels wait on God to serve him. And there is a sense in which they serve him in worship. Remember, there's those 
those special creatures, very mysterious, who do nothing day and night but say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There's angels that just do that. Isaiah 6 saw them, and then John sees them again in Revelation chapter 4, and they're still saying the same thing. Day and night, ceaselessly, they're acknowledging the holiness of God. He's a transcendent being, perfect. Those are the angels that have six wings. Those are the angels that minister particularly to him. But the rest serve for the sake of those that inherit salvation. That's speaking of the elect of God, speaking of the believer. Notice they're sent out. It's in the present tense that they're sent out continually. So this is, a, this is an ongoing ministry of angels to God's people, sent out continually, sent a minister to them. For the sake of those who shall inherit salvation. Now, what are some of the specific things that they do for God's people? This is an interesting study. What do they do for us? Well, look at what they did for Daniel here. So the angel brought revelation to him. Now, I don't claim to have any revelation from an angel or anything like that, so I'm not making that comparison. But but an angel might have something to do with helping us to know something that God has revealed, in addition to the work of the Holy Spirit. I can't say that's a mysterious subject. They bring revelation. Uh, John, he saw the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. And notice how the first verse opens of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place... He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So there an angel was the vehicle, again, of revelation, special revelation. And the end of the book has the same message, Revelation 22 and verse 16. Jesus Christ says, I have sent my angel to testify to you about these things that are to soon be fulfilled. Uh, the angel comforted John, uh, excuse me, Daniel. After this weakness, he was strengthened by the angel. We see that in the ministry of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4, after his temptation in the wilderness. Matthew's account gives us this detail. Matthew 4 and verse 11. Then the angel, then the, excuse me, then the devil left him and angels, plural, came and ministered to him. Think of that. The Lord Jesus Christ needed the ministry of angels. It occurred again at the end of his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before Luke tells us that Jesus was in an agony and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He was in an agony. 
it says that an angel was sent to strengthen him. Otherwise, he might have died under that. That's a serious phenomenon that's been known. When one's sweat becomes bloody, that occurs when there is incredible stress upon a person. So those are a few examples connected to Daniel that has bearing elsewhere. I thought of Mary and the, the assurance that was imparted to her by Gabriel when he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What a word of assurance. Did Mary have any doubt she belonged to God? Did she ever have any misgivings about her relationship to God? Well, probably at that moment she was, if she had, she had great assurance at that moment for sure to be told by Gabriel that she was favored by God and the Lord was with her. What a beautiful word. I wish I could hear that once in a while from God. But now here, let's mention a few other things. Angels preserve, protect, and deliver God's people. These are things that I've told you before probably that bear some uh, repetition because they're good illustrations. Remember what happened to Joey Enriquez on his way up to USC Keck Hospital back when he was alive, driving in the fast lane of the Harbor Freeway, headed north, and he following close behind a car that had a big box in the back, and that box fell out of the back of the car, and there was no way Joey was going to avoid it. And that box took a leap off of the highway, and he said it went about eight feet in the air, came down and hit the very top of his hood on his car, put a hole in the hood, not just dented, it put a hole in it, but did not go through the windshield. Turned out to be an air compressor. Pretty amazing. Who do you think lifted that up in the air and kept it from causing a car accident? See, this kind of things that angels are involved in our life. I probably told the illustration back many years ago. I was coming home from a Bible study, had my whole family in a car, riding in a small Honda station wagon, the small ones back in the 70s. You know, stopped at a stoplight late at night and uh, waiting to make a left-hand turn onto the main highway. Pitch, very dark, and it turned green for me to make a left-hand turn onto Broadway. And for some reason, I just stopped. I, I remained at the stoplight when I had a green light, green arrow, to make my turn. I didn't go. And all of a sudden, a van ran that red light coming down Broadway, which would have, had I made my turn, we would have been hit broadside. My whole family was in there. In the little car that we were in, it would have killed us. Who caused me to just stay there and not drive the car forward? I mean, there's many things you can look back in your life where you were delivered from danger and death. You were protected. You're here this morning because you've been saved from death probably more times than you know. This is the ministry of angels. 
Psalm 34 and verse 7, the Lord in the the angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him and delivers them. That's a great text. The angel of the Lord encamps round about. I mean, that just makes you think like we've, we're surrounded. We've got a hedge around us of angels that protect us, that minister to us. And then Psalm 91, which Satan knows and can quote it. He quoted it to Jesus in his temptation. But notice what Psalm 91 says, verse 11 and 12. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. I don't fully understand that language or the particularly the analogy that might be there more than what we see in this translation. But it certainly communicates the idea that angels are protecting God's people. That's what it says to me. Here's another one that they do, is they avenge God's people of their enemies. I remember Mike Sellers telling me an interesting story about driving one of the huge tractors in the place where he worked, the landfill, and he was being harassed. Might have involved Austin as well, I can't remember. And something happened to these guys that were harassing him. The Lord just, like, enough of that, and something bad happened to him. They didn't get killed, but they were, they were stopped. Remember what one angel did to the army of Sennacherib? That story is recounted in 2 Kings and Isaiah. Sennacherib's army of 185,000 men were struck down in one night by one angel and delivered Jerusalem, delivered Hezekiah from attack by the Assyrian army. In the New Testament, still the angels are still working, avenging God's people of their enemies. Herod Agrippa was intent on putting Peter to death after he did kill James, the brother of John. This is in Acts chapter 12. And it says that it was an angel that, the, that came from the Lord. So the Lord Jesus Christ was behind this. And he sent an angel and struck Herod down. And he was eaten by worms. Some horrible disease overcame this man. When Austin was here a few weeks ago and heard the sermon out of Daniel 9 on the 70 weeks, and I talked about what happened to the Roman emperor Titus, Remember the story of Titus, what happened to him? The man, the Roman general that destroyed the temple and Jerusalem. That a gnat went into his nose and ended up doing something horrible in his brain. Austin wrote to me in a text, he said, yeah, a gnat for Titus and a worm for Herod. But yes, 
That's right. God is avenging his people. Now, here's one you may not think much about or given it any consideration. John Dwyer will be considering it when he talks about the story of the rich man and Lazarus on Thursday night. It says of Lazarus when he died, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. It's the only place in the whole Bible that says that, but I only need it said one time to know that this is what happens to us at death, that God dispatches an angel to our bedside to carry us into his presence. Think of that. Chuck Smith, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, said his last words right before he died was, Oh, wow. Recorded by his daughter. What did he see? Who came to his bedside to escort him home? And then finally, the last thing that we read about, how the angels minister to us, is they're going to minister to God's people at the very end, at the second coming. Because they will be the ones that gather the elect together from the four corners of the earth, bring us together to meet Jesus Christ in the air. And at the same time, they gather together the wicked and remove the wicked. And they are deposited somewhere else. And I like the way Jesus said this in Matthew 13. It says that the angels will gather out of his kingdom all those who offend and commit sin and so on. It's a terrible thing that is said about them. They're going to be gathered and burned. But then it says, the next verse says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. It's like remove the wicked... And they go to their own place, separated from God's people. We need that separation for us to be in utter happiness. We know, living in this world, how sin grieves us and interrupts our peace. And we don't like, like it. Now, we realize I am what I am by the grace of God. That's the only thing that makes a difference between myself and a lost, a lost sinner. But having said that, at the same time, like Lot, we are grieved by, our souls are vexed by the wickedness of those that we live around. But a separation is coming, and that adds to the happiness of God's people. So those are all the things that I see in the Bible where the this, this angels are important in ministering to God's people. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.